And you say, well, when are we going to complete this? Well, when we get through the end of chapter 3, I'm not sure exactly how many different parts there will be to this, but this is one of these themes that we talked about in the beginning of 1 Corinthians where Paul is addressing the church in Corinth who is a part of a Greek culture that is enamored with and absolutely loves philosophy and have given themselves over to human wisdom and to human understanding. So human philosophy and human wisdom from the very beginning of time has sought to answer the life's most basic questions. Who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose and meaning? What is my destiny? And so philosophy and wisdom have attempted to answer those questions, but they have always done so apart from the revelation of God's word, his truth revealed to us about who he is, what he has done, and how God has answered these questions in his absolute sovereignty over the world that he has created. So the Corinthians, who are part of this Greek culture, are in love with human philosophy and human wisdom. Now, you and I might not identify with philosophy per se, but what we need to recognize is that in our world, in our culture, there are many, many different worldviews, and these worldviews will dictate what you and I value, what you and I believe, the lives that you and I will lead, and what is most important for us. So, for example, some of us might answer the question, well, who am I? Well, I'm just me. I'm here for myself. I'm going to get all I can while I can. I'm going to make the most of this life that I have to live because I'm, I'm going to die tomorrow, so I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry, right? Isn't that part of the world's philosophy? Part of the world's philosophy is that man is the crown achievement that exists in this world, not having any identity in God. But you are the most evolved creature in all of the world, and you have ascended to the pinnacle of life and knowledge and existence, and you owe it to yourself to strive after these things that you have determined are valuable to you. We could go on and on and illustrate many other examples of philosophy and wisdom, and we would be fools to think that these worldly philosophies have not in some way infiltrated the church, our thinking about who God is, our understanding of what is my purpose and meaning, what is my destiny, isn't it, isn't it after all God's obligation to give to me all that I desire and all that the world seeks as being valuable. So this gets all mixed up in how we live out the gospel in an intentional and in a life-changing way for those who know nothing about this God that we enjoy. So in the Greek culture that Paul is writing to, they pride themselves on their intellectual superiority. And within this culture, there are at least 50 identifiable explanations to the basic questions of life. They don't agree with one another, but you have all of these different influences that have been added to the message of Christ on the cross. And the Corinthians have gotten far off track They are confused and they are misapplying the message of the cross to their lives. This is exactly what is taking place in our world today and in the culture of the church today. So as a result of this infiltration, the wisdom of God expressed through the message of the cross in the world's mind and in the confused Christian mind is foolishness or it is incomplete There has to be something more to that. Now, I'm not going to go back and review two or three messages. We just won't have time for that. So the message of the cross 
cannot be understood through human philosophy since it is considered foolishness. Yet Paul argues the cross is how God has chosen to reveal the very heart of his wisdom and making a way to him through the cross of Christ. So in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, there is a bit of a segue into the section that we're looking at today. In this section, Paul mes- excuse me, in the segue, Paul mentions that his message to them when he was there some years before was not filled with persuasive wisdom, which is consistent with the philosophy and the wisdom of the day, but he preached the cross of Christ. He preached Christ crucified. It was the power of this message message that brought to them spiritual transformation. And he is going to assert this same argument in this section. And he is going to state that the the wisdom that he preaches is unlike the world's wisdom. It is, in fact, the wisdom of God. This wisdom cannot be perceived by those who are pursuing pursuing human philosophy, this wisdom is only recognized by those who have the Spirit. Because the lost world, the unregenerate man, does not have the Spirit of God, and thus does not have the mind of Christ, they should have... They should have seen the cross for what it is, God's wisdom. So the Corinthians who were saved by the message of Christ crucified have been made new creations through the work of the power of the Holy Spirit. They should be able to recognize the false wisdom and philosophy that has infiltrated their lives. But this is what they are not doing, and this is why Paul is addressing this to them. So by pursuing human wisdom, or by adding human wisdom to the message of the cross, they are acting like those who are without the Spirit, who are likewise pursuing wisdom, but see the cross as foolishness. So the net result is this, and the irony is this, is that they are spiritual, the Corinthians are, yet they're unspiritual in how they're living out the gospel in their lives. They are pursuing wisdom, yet they are missing the very wisdom of God, which is centered in the cross of Christ. That's the review. Let's look at what God's Word says to us in verses 6 through 16 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul says, beginning in verse 6, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom of God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written... Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 10, for to us, God revealed them through the spirit for the spirit searches all things, even the depths of God for who among men knows the thoughts of a man, except the spirit of the man, which is in him. Even so the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. 
Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he will instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Now I'm going to say this at the very beginning. When you read this passage of Scripture, it is very easy to get lost in what Paul is saying. Our minds kind of drift away. He's speaking a language that we are not quite familiar with because he is speaking to those that have embraced the philosophical conversation that is consistent in the day. For example, if you speak to Ken for any length of time and get into physics or get into higher scientific conversation, very quickly, Ken will get over your head and you'll just look at him with glazed eyes and go, what? What are you talking about? I can't even identify with the terminology or with the concepts that you are speaking. It's because we're not versed in physics and what Ken has specialized in his life. Well, the Corinthians, who are part of a culture that has pursued philosophy, that is so indoctrinated into the Greek culture, Paul is not engaging in philosophy with them, but he is using words and phrases and ideas that they are very, very familiar with. So hang on as we go through this. So as you look in your outline, you see Roman numeral one, God's wisdom. We begin or we continue here in Roman numeral two, revealed by the spirit. God's wisdom is revealed by the spirit. Now we're going to look at this and two major points through this section. Paul is going to pull out words and ideas and phrases that are consistent with what the Greek culture and the Greek mind would be able to wrap their brains around and go, oh, oh, I had thought about that before. So this is a very, very intentional way that Paul engages the saved mind of the Corinthian that has gotten off track and the lost mind in the Greek culture that needs to hear the wisdom of God expressed through the message of the cross. So number one, the nature of God's wisdom. God's wisdom is revealed by the Spirit. So we're going to look at the nature of God's wisdom. This begins in verse 6a, the first half of that verse. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. So the very first thing that God says is God's wisdom is for the believer. God is not, excuse me, Paul is not denouncing wisdom absolutely. He's not saying that wisdom does not exist. What he is saying is that God's wisdom is for the believer and Paul is denouncing the worldly wisdom and the human philosophy that has infiltrated the thinking of the Corinthian believer. The wisdom that he references is God's wisdom revealed through the message of the cross and the believer understands this wisdom. The word or the phrase that Paul uses here is the word mature. And for the believing community, that word mature is a reference to those who are saved. 
Paul is not making a distinction between mature and immature believers, but between the redeemed and the unredeemed. Now, this distinction is developed a little bit later in the passage, specifically in verse 12, which is a reference to the Spirit of God, and in verse 14, which is a reference to the natural man, which is a constant contrast through the entirety of this two and a half chapters that deal with God's wisdom. So within the pursuit of philosophy, most especially in the Greek culture, philosophers believe that only the mature mind had the ability to understand this higher philosophy. Therefore, if you couldn't understand it, or if you disagreed with it, then they would just say derogatorily, "Ah, you're just immature. You're not smart enough. You're not intellectual enough. This is way beyond you. You are beneath us. That's not what Paul is saying, but he's picking up on that word mature and what it means in the context of the Greek culture as it has been inundated with their philosophy. So Paul uses this term to provide the contrast between human and spiritual wisdom. The mature mind, the believing mind, the redeemed mind, is able to understand the wisdom of God. And even if you think you are mature based upon human philosophy, you're not going to understand God's wisdom. God's wisdom is not for those mature in the world's wisdom. It is for For the believer, because God's wisdom is not from this world. The latter part of verse 6, Paul's talking about a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are passing away. So what Paul is saying is this. The wisdom that I have given to you, the message of the cross, the message that I preach, Christ crucified, does not originate in me. It does not originate in this present age. So that word age refers to a period of time, to an historical time, and actually to all of human history. So if you think about what an age might mean to the Greek culture, the Greek culture could look back on generations of philosophy, and they could look back to some kind of ancestral privilege, having come from this wise upbringing, And Paul is saying that God's wisdom does not originate in you. It does not originate in this present era. And it does not originate in this world. It doesn't originate within the rulers. The rulers are the leading men or the authorities of the day. So if you were in this culture, you would look look up to the sages or the gurus, the individuals who were thought to be the most intellectually advanced of the era. And you'd look at them and you would listen to them and they'd say, man... Those cats, they have arrived. They've got it all together. They really know what's going on. And we would be foolish not to listen to them or not to believe in what they say. So what Paul is saying is the wisdom of God precedes this age. It precedes this world. And it is preeminent over this age and over this world. Worldly wisdom and the rulers of this world, Paul says, are all passing away. And this is a reminder of what Paul has already said in chapter 1 and verse 19 when it says God is destroying the wisdom of the world. 
And that is because God's wisdom is preeminent over what the world would consider to be wise. So God's wisdom is also veiled in mystery. Verse 7, But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. So remembering that Paul is speaking phrases and using words that elicit ideas within the Greek culture as it relates to wisdom, he throws out this word mystery. Ooh, we love a good mystery, don't we? The Greeks thought that through their intellectualism, that through their pursuit of philosophy, that they were able to open up all the mysteries of the world, all the mysteries of the universe, the mystery of man's existence. And so mystery means something held in secret. So philosophers pursued the mysteries of life and believed that they had a unique understanding of it as the superior, mature intellect of the age or of all the ages. So as we think about what the word mystery means in context of the biblical word, mystery is very simply the revelation of God's plans and purposes which cannot be discovered through human reasoning and in this case cannot and will not be discovered through human philosophy. The mystery that Paul speaks of here very clearly refers to the message of the cross. So if you look at what Paul says here in verse 7, and you go back and reread what Paul said in verses 18 through 25 of chapter 1, he is very clearly speaking about the message of the cross. He also would share this same kind of quote-unquote mystery with the church at Colossae. He says this in chapter 1, verses 25 and 26. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out what? The preaching of the word of God which is consistent with what he has said to the church in Corinth I preach Christ crucified. Verse 26 that is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations but now has been manifested to his saints. So the mysterious plans and purposes of God that have existed from eternity past, God has made known through His choice of revealing this wisdom in the message of the cross which has been revealed in this present age. The veiled meaning and understanding that Paul is referring to is also used by Jesus when speaking about His coming and His purpose. He said this in Matthew eleven twenty five. Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Now, Jesus was talking about the Pharisees, who were the experts in the law, who knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards, who were the experts in all things that related to God. And yet when Jesus showed up and was the full manifestation of God in the flesh, they didn't see Him. They didn't recognize Him. They rejected Him. They actually killed Him because He didn't fit the mold. So this mystery that was even hidden from the most religiously trained group of people 
miss the revelation because it's God's revelation, not able to be, to be discerned by human idea, human pursuit. The wisdom of the cross was set in eternity past. And so Paul is saying that God determined before time even began to reveal this mystery for our glory in this present age. This glory is the consummation of our salvation and it speaks of our future destiny and God's presence for all eternity. God's wisdom is not understood in this world. Verse 8, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Paul makes clear this wisdom that he is speaking about has not been understood by the leading thinkers of this present age. You know, the same thing is true today. You could get the gurus of our day who are going to try to describe for us what the meaning of life is and why man is here, but they're not going to be able to understand the wisdom that has been revealed by God through the message of the cross. Had our present cultural gurus and philosophical wise men understood that, they would not be rejecting him even now today. So had the rulers of Paul's day and Jesus' day understood who Jesus was, Paul is saying, they would not have killed him, the one who actually is the Lord of glory, the one who is the, the originator of all of life's wisdom. Here's the divine irony. The very ones who were trying to do away with Jesus by crucifying him were in fact carrying out God's predetermined plan. And this plan was destined for our glory before time even began. Now think about how conflicting that idea would be to a philosophical wonder in Paul's day. Wait a minute. You mean the person that was killed, this person Jesus, God determined beforehand that he would be killed so that we could know the wisdom of God, and that wisdom is actually for our glory? Oh, wait a minute, man. That's far out. I can't even get to that. Isn't that right? And so we have these things that have been revealed to us in Scripture that the natural man has no capacity to understand. They go, what? I, you know, you're speaking physics to me again. You're speaking higher mathematics. I, my brain doesn't work that way. Well, that's right. When you're talking about the predetermined plans and purposes of God revealed and fulfilled in the message of the cross. If you don't accept that, understand that, and are not a believer in that, you'll never understand any of God's wisdom. Human wisdom is incapable of understanding this because it is incapable of understanding God. Period. John MacArthur says this. This is, this is really, really helpful. It is impossible for a lesser creature to understand a more advanced one. How can anything understand something more complex and advanced than itself? For a flea to understand a dog, it would have to be at least as advanced as a dog. For a dog to understand a man... 
This is funny. For a dog to understand a man, it would have to be at least as advanced as a man. How much greater distance is there between creator and creature? Men can imagine what God might be like, and people have plenty of ideas about Him. Almost everyone has an opinion to what, to, as to what God is like or not like, as to whether He even exists. But man's opinions are irrelevant because they can never be more than speculations. By His own resources, the creature cannot possibly comprehend his creator. Isn't that exactly right? I read a lengthy quote last week, and an astrophysicist can look through the most powerful telescope and look into places in outer space, galaxies that are far, far away that the human eye could never see, and they look at that and they can't understand it. They can't explain it. They have no capacity to even explore it. And what they conclude is this. Boy, that was an incredible bang that happened sometime long, long ago that put that all into being. Boy, that's mysterious, isn't it? But what does the believer say? This God who has revealed Himself chiefly through the cross and has enabled us to know something about Him through the revelation of His Word is far more spectacular and far more powerful and is actually indescribable. We just don't have words in our vocabulary that can completely and accurately describe or define who He is or what He is like or the scope of His power. We look at it and we go, man, God is amazing. And we say that because we are believers. We can't say that apart from knowing the chief revelation of God's wisdom through the cross. We continue. God's wisdom is divine truth. Verse 9. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Now, again, you see that all cap in your Bible. It means it's a quotation from someplace in the Old Testament. And this is actually what is called a free quotation by the Apostle Paul, which means you won't find those words exactly like that in a singular verse. It's actually a combination from Isaiah 64.4 and Isaiah 65.17 where Paul articulates the truth of God's Word to speak directly to the heart of the issue of how the Corinthians have been led astray by Greek culture as well as speaking to the Greek mind. What Paul is saying is this, the natural eye and the natural ear and the heart of man cannot know nor can they comprehend the wisdom of God. It is simply not possible. Man's two greatest human resources, empiricism and rationalism, his observation and his reason, are equally useless in discovering divine truth. If we were able to fully understand the wisdom of God, just in what we can observe, 
or just in what we can reason in our own minds, then the cross would never have been necessary. An astrophysicist could look into the heavens and say, boy, that God is amazing. That God didn't need to send a son to be the ransom and the redeemer for mankind. We see his spectacular nature and we know we don't measure up. So we got to do something about that. Man can never come to that conclusion on his own. God's wisdom has been prepared by God and revealed only to those who love him. And those who love him are the ones that have been called to him through salvation. This is what Paul is saying in the first part of this as he is speaking to the Greek culture, the Greek mind, as he is helping the Corinthian believer to recognize the futility of what they are giving giving themselves over to. So the nature of God's wisdom is the first part of what we looked at. Secondly, we're going to look at the revelation of God's wisdom. So we talked about the wisdom of God. We've looked at the nature of God's wisdom, primarily through the cross of Christ, but articulated in these verses. And now we look at the revelation of God's, of God's wisdom. What man cannot find, what man cannot know, has been revealed, and it has been given by the Holy Spirit. Verse 10. For to us, who's the us? Well, it's to Paul and the other apostles and the biblical writers. God revealed them His wisdom through the Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. So the Holy Spirit is the Trinity's agent of transmission and communication. In the absence of Jesus, who came to the earth to reveal the mystery of God to man, the Spirit has continued, or did so before Jesus came about, by revealing God's wisdom to man, through the message of the cross and through the message of God's inspiration to the biblical writers. And it included all that God means. So like the Father, the Spirit is omniscient. And so Paul uses an analogy to make this point. One that the wisdom-loving Greeks would very, very clearly understand. It is the principle of this. Like is known by like. Now, we're not caught up in philosophy. We're not caught up in human wisdom. So that doesn't really resonate with us in the same way that it would would with a Greek-loving culture or a wisdom-loving culture. But the principle is like is known by like. Verse 11, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Here's what Paul is saying. Here is the analogy. I might know you, and I might know you pretty well, but I cannot know your thoughts. We can spend large amounts of time together, but your thoughts are not known to me, and I cannot know them unless you reveal them to me. Only you know your thoughts. Isn't that right? I can sit there and look at your faces and I can make some assumptions. You look really interested. You look like this is really meaningful to you. You look like you're ready to go to lunch. You look like this is totally over your head. 
I can look at you, but I can't possibly know your thoughts. I look at my wife out there, and I know her pretty well. And she knows me pretty well. But you know what? We don't know each other's thoughts. We cannot know them unless they are revealed to us. In the same way, we cannot know the thoughts of God unless they are revealed to us. And here's what Paul says. The Spirit knows the thoughts of God. The Spirit is the one who gives this revelation and He gives this revelation perfectly because He knows the thoughts of God. As a member of the Godhead, the Spirit knows the mind of God perfectly and He reveals this wisdom and this knowledge. So we understand the Godhead to be the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. A singular God revealed to us in three persons in a way that reveals the fullness of who God is. The Father who sent the Son and indwells us through the Holy Spirit. This is how this revelation is given, through our indwelling. Verse 12, beginning the first half of verse 12, 12a. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Notice that the Spirit is capitalized there, and that means the Holy Spirit. Man cannot discover the truth of God. It is received, and man is able to receive this revelation because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Greeks had spent lifetimes trying to discover the meaning of life, and they claim to have achieved that. Paul debunks that myth, not only in the mind of the unregenerate Greek philosopher or the Greek loving wisdom guy, but in the life of the believing Corinthian. Believers understand that the true source of wisdom is revealed through the Holy Spirit, and that which is given by the Holy Spirit is received by man through the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does His work in us because the Holy Spirit indwells us. At the instant that we are saved, in some mystery that we can't fully explain, nor can we fully understand, God indwells us. And it is in that indwelling of the Spirit that we are able to understand the inspiration and the revelation of God. So He indwells us, and we understand the revelation given by the Spirit through inspiration. Verse 12b, so that we may know the things freely God, excuse me, we may know the things freely given to us by God. So the previously unknown wisdom of God has been showered upon the believing community through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The wisdom of God is the content of the message from the apostles, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and recorded in the Scripture. We love this verse, and we quote it often, 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Again, we see the contrast here between spiritual and worldly. We see this in verse 13. 
Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. So Paul is speaking spiritual words. I'm sorry, my it advanced way back to the beginning. So Paul is speaking spiritual words. And he's speaking these spiritual words, which contain spiritual wisdom, which are given through the revelation and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which can only be received and understood by those who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is best understood in this last example here, and that is through illumination. Let me, let me read verse 14, and I'll kind of summarize. Verse 14, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Spiritually appraised. So, the revelation of God's wisdom is given By the Holy Spirit. It's given through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which is for all believers. But it's also given through this revelation unique to the apostles and the biblical writers through the inspiration, which is the work of the Spirit, and them understanding and knowing what is the mystery of God, which has been revealed primarily through the message of the cross. The unredeemed will never be able to understand the things of God. Why? Because they don't have the Spirit of God living within them. We can read the revelation of Scripture, which is inspired by God. We can even illuminate its truth to them by explaining it, but they're not going to be able to understand it because they don't have the Spirit of God within them. What the Spirit has revealed to believers is foolishness to the lost, and the lost have no capacity to understand it because the Spirit does not illuminate the truth to them. It is possible to read the Bible for years and years and to not understand it because we don't have the Holy Spirit within us. Have you ever wondered why somebody can read the whole, can read the Bible over and over and over and absolutely miss the centrality of the message of the gospel of Christ? How they can read what is very clear teaching and go, well, you know, I just don't really understand why that makes any sense to me today. It's because they're not indwelt by the Holy Spirit who as a part of His work in us is to illuminate the wisdom of God revealed to us through the Word of God. I did it again. So it is apart from the Holy Spirit, excuse me, apart from the Holy Spirit, the words of Scripture are foolishness and the lost world, the unregenerate man, is not able to understand it. God's Word is spiritually evaluated. It is spiritually discerned. It is spiritually understood, and the natural man is spiritually dead. Well, how was it that I was able to understand the centrality of the message of the cross when I was yet dead in my sin? 
Well, it's a part of the mystery of God that we can't fully understand or explain other than saying, God enabled you to understand. God removed the blinders from your eyes. God broke up the fallow ground of your heart so that you could believe and gave you faith to respond. You know, the end result of that is that you and I had absolutely nothing to do with our salvation. It was the work of the Spirit, apart from our wisdom, apart from our knowledge, apart from as evolved as we might be. Salvation is holy in the will of God. So God's word spiritually evaluated, spiritually discerned, spiritually understood. This truth is demonstrated through the words of Christ when he confronted the Pharisees who were, again, the experts of the law. They knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards, but they missed its central theme, which is Jesus as the fulfillment of the, of the prophesied Messiah. He would say in John 5.39, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, just knowing Scripture. It is these that testify about me. The Pharisees knew the Bible backwards and forwards. They, they knew and could quote vast sections of Scripture, yet they were spiritually dead and they missed the promised Messiah who stood before them and performed miracle after miracle that they could not deny. They just simply rejected it because they did not have the Spirit of God within them. They were spiritually dead. Illumination is for all believers. Revelation and inspiration is for the apostles and the biblical writers. What that means is what God has revealed and inspired to the biblical writers, the Spirit illuminates that truth to you and I today so that we can say, oh, I understand what God's wisdom means. Apart from the Spirit indwelling us, we will never be able to understand that. The Holy Spirit does not reveal or inspire new truth to us. Be wary of any preacher, teacher, writer that says such a thing. What the Holy Spirit does is simply illuminate that truth and gives us the capacity to understand what we did not previously know. For example, you can read a passage of Scripture over and over and over, and you read it one day and you go, wow, I never, I never saw that before. I never understood that. That never made sense to me. It's because the Spirit has illuminated that truth to you. That is His work in our lives through our reading of the Scripture. This is the point of what Paul says in verse 15. But he who is spiritual appraises all things because of the illumination of the Holy Spirit, yet he himself is appraised by no one. Well, since the Spirit indwells us, and since we have the ability to appraise all things through the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit, we are able to consider all things that are out there and be able to say that either aligns and agrees with Scripture or it does not. If it aligns with Scripture, that is unnecessary to me because I already have the Word of God. If it doesn't align with Scripture, I have to reject that because it is inconsistent with the Word of God. When you and I choose to live our lives by the inspired Word of God revealed to us and illuminated in us by the Holy Spirit, the world will not understand us. 
They will not agree with our beliefs and they will simply reject our values and our commitments. That is what it means that we will be appraised by no one. When we look at the the Word of God and the Spirit illuminates that truth to us, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. We've got the Word of God. When the world looks at us and says, you're wrong, you're an elitist, you're exclusionary, you can't possibly understand the mind of God, we reject that because we're not to be appraised by the mind of the natural man. Why? Because the Holy Spirit indwells us and has revealed to us the, through the work of the Holy Spirit what the Word of God actually says and means. This is why we're not to give in to the foolish speculation. We're not to debate with the natural mind. It's foolishness to them. You're just going to go round and round and round like a dog chasing its tail, and you're going to end up right back where you started because they can't understand because they don't have the Spirit of God within them. Just as the wisdom of God is an unknowable mystery to the world, our commitments and our convictions and our values are also not understood by the world. This is why the world will hate us, just as Jesus said. This is why the world wants to remove a God consciousness from the public square because they don't understand it. So what do I do with something I can't understand? I just have to reject it, denounce it, and set it aside. Because if I can't understand it in my evolved intellectual position, then it can't possibly be right. Paul issues a challenge that should stop the philosophers dead in their tracks And it should be a reminder to the believing community and the Corinthian church of his apostolic authority and the truth of the sovereign God who has revealed and illuminated the truth of God to them through the message of the cross. And here's the challenge in verse 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. What natural man knows the mind of God? None. Really, to the fullest extent, what saved man really knows the mind of God? None. What human philosophy accurate excuse me, what human philosophy accurately describes who God is and what God has done? Well, there isn't any that exists. Who has the ability to instruct God about anything? Not a single person. So in contrast to that ridiculous assumption, believers have the mind of Christ. Why? Because the Spirit indwells us. We have the revelation of God's Word inspired through the biblical writers and illuminated to us and for us by the Holy Spirit. So you and I have the capacity to know something about the wisdom of God, to understand some of the plans and purposes of God, to know something about His will and His ways as the Holy Spirit illuminates the eternal truth of God, which is centralized in the message of the cross of Christ. Now, because we have the mind of Christ does not mean that we can know everything, and it does not mean that we do not need human teachers, and it doesn't mean that learning won't be difficult or laborious. But what it means is this, is that Scripture can be understood by Christians who are diligent and obedient to His Word, who are seeking to know more fully, this great God who is far beyond our ability to describe or define or even fully understand, who has chosen to save us 
through the cross of Christ, when we pursue His Word that way, I can promise you that God is going to illuminate His Word to us so that it makes a difference in the lives that we live and so that prayerfully our lives will make an impact in this world that is so dark. Would you pray with me? Father, we very, very honestly acknowledge that we can't possibly know all that there is to know about you. There's so much about you and your ways that are a mystery to us. Yet we can know something about who you are. And we know something about your will and your way, 